This morning, we come to one of the most quoted, most famous verses in all of Scripture, John 3.16. So I'd like you to go ahead and open your Bibles there to John chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, in this verse and the surrounding verses, uh, we learn the motive behind salvation. We learn the motive, actually, of the incarnation. The incarnation being God taking on flesh. His name was Jesus the Christ. We learn the motive behind his ministry. We learn the motive behind the plan of salvation and why there, God has a plan. We, we learn the motive of why God does what he does. We learn the motive of why chapter 3, the sinner makes sinners alive unto Christ. Why Jesus taught us one must be born again. We learn why salvation is not by works, but by faith in Christ alone, by grace alone. It is because of what John says here in verse 16, and what he also will say in his first letter, chapter 4, that God is love. Now, that's not all that God is. Let's be straight about that, okay? God is not just love. Okay, that, if, if that's the case, then we make love out to be God, and that is not the case because God is also just. He's also merciful. He is holy, holy, holy. He is righteous in all of his ways. So there's many attributes of God, but what John does here for the purpose of his gospel is that he hones in on this particular characteristic of God called love. This is the one that, this is, this does not make him who he is. This is one of the ones that makes him who he is. And this morning, our passage hones in on it. So let's read it together. We're going to read verses 16 through 21 this morning. So please stand with me as we read the word of God together this morning. Verses 16 through 21. We'll begin with that beautiful and most memorable verses, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Now, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, for fear his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, give us ears to hear. Give me the ability to to explain, to teach, to preach, to proclaim your love. Not the world's love, not how we love, but a foreign love, an alien love, the love of heaven. And Lord God, may it overwhelm us, may it overcome us. Father, help me to, to, to present it in a way that is accurate and truthful and honors you. Help the listeners, help us to hear what you have to say. And Lord God, may the Spirit enable us to take it to heart, not just to mind. And may it be like the, 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 the pressure from the hands of the potter conforming our 
our hearts into the image of Christ a little bit more. God, may we walk away this morning not the way we came in. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to look at the first four words of verse 16. For God so loved. For God so loved. What we have here is God's infinite love made manifest in an infinite, gloriously, in a glorious manner. Okay? Manifested in an infinitely glorious manner. This is about how God so loved. Not you, not me, not humanity. That's my phone. That's the first time that's ever happened. My goodness gracious. I can never say that again. All right. There's a story. Have y'all ever heard the pastor of uh, Moody Bible Church uh, up in Chicago? Erwin Lutzer was speaking at a conference. And his phone, I think, was right here in his pocket. It started ringing. So if it can happen to someone as wonderful and great as him, you know. What is that noise? Is that more? Is that my phone? <clears throat> He's bypassing the mute button. Anyway, bypassing the mute button. Okay. Let's, let's, oh my goodness, let's focus this morning. All right. It's a foreign love. That's what we have to understand in verse 16. For God so loved, it explains how God loves in this passage this morning. It's a righteous love. In other words, this love is marked by perfect obedience. It is a holy love. There's not another love like it in the universe or to be found anywhere in things created or uncreated. This is a totally separate love. It is a just love in that his love didn't sweep sin under the carpet. It dealt with sin head on. He bore our sin. So, so when you think about the love of God, you've got to think it in reference in a relationship to the other attributes of God. This love is not merely a feeling. And it's also not merely an action, though it involves activity. What I want you to think this morning is this love is manifested in a person. A person. We sometimes just think about the love of God as the cross and the work of redemption. And we forget that who's on that cross is his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And so it's supposed to be very personal. I'm reminded of Romans 5.8 that God demonstrated his love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, God did something. Christ died for us. I want us to look, first of all, at the characteristics of God's love. And then I want us, second of all, to look at the purpose of God's love and then the scope of God's love. It's kind of like the outline this morning, okay? The characteristics of God's love or the character of God's love, the purpose of God's love, and the scope of God's love. Let's look, first of all, at the character, character of God's love. I want you to know that when John's writing this, it's as if he's saying that God has reached back in eternity. And what his love in eternity past is has now come into history and to fruition in the person of his son. And so he says, this is how I loved. Not the kind we find in the world, but the love that which is in heaven, which came to a sinful, fallen earth. We see this love in two ways. Number one, we see it in the condition of the object love. Look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Let's park there for a minute. 
because we need to understand how the Bible paints and describes the world. And it's not in our favor. Get it? It's not in our favor whatsoever. Here we see the sinner's pride is given a death blow because the world he created had fallen. The world he created had rebelled. The world is laden with sin and judged already. The world is hostile to his ways. Earlier on in the Gospel of John, just two chapters earlier, they didn't even recognize him. Now, it wouldn't matter what generation he came on. This would have been consistent throughout the generations. If he came in our generation, we would have responded and reacted the same way. This generation is no better than any generation that has come or any generation to come. This world is described as loving darkness rather than the light in verse 19 and 20. The world is described as being an enmity with God in Romans chapter 5 verse 10. This world. Think about it. This world is the one he loved. For God so loved the world. What does this mean? He didn't love us because we're lovable. He loved us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our rebellion, and in spite of our sinful condition. Here's what's going on in the Gospels. Here's what's going on with John. Here's what's going on with God's Word. When, when we see the world for as the way God sees it, we see it bad, worse. What does that do? It makes us appreciate and understand how great God's love is. It's easy for us to love people that love us. It's easy for us to love people that look good. It's easy to love people that treat us well. That's not the love of God he's talking about here. This is why Jesus says later on to us, love your enemies. Why? why? Reflect that love that God has for you. This world, in this condition, even though it was in the condition we just described, though it, though it did not recognize him, is still the object of his care. He, here's the point. He loved the world anyway. He loved the world anyway. A world that at one time reflected his glory, reflected his image in Genesis 1 and 2 that mirrored his beauty, that world is now at enmity with him and is all fuzzy and messed up. But yet he still cares. Because John says, for God so loved. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't come into a fuzzy, feel-good, lovey-dovey world. As a matter of fact, in chapter 1, he begins by saying his, world, his own didn't even recognize him. The world rejected him, and not only that, his own people, the Jews, rejected him. They did not even recognize him, and he knew that and came anyway. He loved anyway. The world has turned its back on him. It did not recognize him. It's enmity with him, yet he still cares. But that's not all. You go to Romans chapter 3, and the world, from God's point of view, is described as done no good, not one, not whatsoever. Put your finger there or write it down. As we're describing the world, the, the scriptures are not quiet about who we are. 
And it, and it really just hits us where our pride is, where my pride is. In Romans chapter 3, verse 9, Paul's been arguing that both Jews and Greeks are all guilty before a holy God. And haven't we, we've kind of lost that, haven't we? We've lost the, the holiness of God. When you lose that, you lose the gospel. Are we better than they, he says in verse 9? Not at all. We've already cha- charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. We're all guilty. It doesn't matter what nation you're from, what tribe, what, what, what people group. It just doesn't matter. We're all guilty. And then he goes on and expresses and explains what he means by that. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. In verse 18, he says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no sense of awe over the holiness of God anymore. Listen to our world. They don't even think there is a God anymore. He doesn't exist. Or if he does exist, he's not holy. He's whoever they want him to be in their own imaginations. That's why there's no fear of God anymore. We've lost the sense of the holiness of God. And when you lose that sense of the holiness of God, you lose the sense of the love of God. But but this is what I'm doing here. This is what John is doing. He's contrasting the world with God so that we get a, a renewed sense of his holiness so that we understand his love. So God's... The character of God's love is seen in the condition of the object that he loves, the world. But second of all, and I think most of all, it's seen in the gift that he has given. Notice the next phrase in verse 16. That he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world, and we just described it with scripture, that number two, he gave his only begotten son. Look at the nature of the gift. His son. God went all out. He held nothing back to a fallen, rebellious world. This is why we call God's love infinite. That's why it's eternal. That's why it's holy. In this instance, the giver is God and the gift is his son. The only begotten, very God himself, John explained in chapter 1 the perfect image bearer, the apple of God's eye, the only one who can explain him, chapter 1, verse 18, that is Jesus the Christ. He is the most valuable possession to God, the Father. The most meaningful relationship he has is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And they got together and they said, Son, if anyone's going to be redeemed, we've got to do it. Son, you've got to go to earth and die and take on their sin. And the son joyfully said, yes, Father. He is the perfect manifestation of God's love. If you also like to write down Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I want to read two verses, 38 and 39. Listen to this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing 
will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is located where? Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why, quote, unquote, there is hell to pay for those who do not trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because God's saying, I've given all that I could give. I've given my son. He means the world to me. He is infinite. His worth is eternal. I have given the best that I can give. I've offered him on the cross. He bore your sins. And you do not receive him? Wow. How would you feel if the month of December leading into Christmas, you did your budget and you took every penny you had available and you bought this gift for your child. And on Sunday morning, and it cost you all year to get this gift. You wanted it to be a surprise so he or she would not know what it was. But you put blood, sweat, and tears in that thing, working all year long, saving all that money to get that gift together. I mean, it cost you everything, basically, right? But on that Sunday morning, they open up that gift and they go, oh, oh, that's nice. Get the point? Yeah, it happens now. Right. But see, God gave his all. He gave his best. He held back nothing in that he gave his son. The point is this, and we'll be done with point number one. The character of God's love is rooted in, and God himself. That's the point of all this. If you get nothing else the last 10 minutes, God's love is not rooted in humanity. It's rooted in himself, in who he is. Let's go to number two, the purpose of God's love, his eternal life. Go back to verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm going to leapfrog over whosoever. We're going to come back to that with point number three. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Eternal not only refers to duration of time, but quality of life. Write that down. When we see or read the word eternal, we think of just duration of time. How long? Forever and ever and ever. It means that, but it means much, so much more than that. It's the quality of one's existence. In other words, he's referring also to a new quality of life, a new kind of life. That's why Paul will go on and talk about we are new creatures in Christ. Old things pass away. Behold, new things come. We have a new perspective. We have new disposition. We have a new future. Everything becomes new when you are in Christ. So when you look at the word eternal or hear the term eternal life, it not only refers to duration of time, but quality of one's existence. It also includes the deepening and growing of one's experience with God, a relationship with God. Never exhausted. Think of it that way. It's a relationship that's never exhausted. Get it? You don't, you don't get tired of God. That's usually an indication of my situation, my heart, my problem, not God's. You ever think God's boring? Wow. Get into scriptures. You can see God's not boring whatsoever. He's alive. He's holy. He loves you so much he gave his son. Is that boring? No. Oh. 
free of condemnation? You know, we're no longer, if you're in Christ, you're no longer under the judgment of God. Jesus not only bore your sins, he bore the condemnation, the wrath of God. He took your place as your substitute. That is no longer awaits you in your future. You have eternal life, all because of Christ. Amen? It begins when one is born again, earlier on in this gospel, chapter 3. Means we're new creatures. Turn with me for a minute to John chapter 17. I love this. I can't wait till we get there months down the road because this is really Jesus' high priestly prayer. And in this prayer, he tells us what this quality of life, he prays for, I should say it better that way, he prays for this quality of life. Look at chapter 17, verse 3. He gives us a definition of eternal life right here in this verse. This is eternal life. There it is. What is it? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is more than just duration of time. It's having a personal relationship with God himself. So when you pray, he hears. And when you're reading his word, you're listening to him. And you do that back and forth, right? That's how you communicate with God. It's really simple. You don't need to go to seminary to figure that one out. But that's why he defines it in verse 3. And then you go down to verse, verse 12, and he says, I give you my joy. Excuse me, verse 13, but now I come to you. He's still praying, and these things I speak in the world so that they, that is my disciples, and those who believe on their word, based on their word, which is the church, that I might make my joy full in them. What is that joy? Well, that tomorrow everything's going to go well. That tomorrow's going to be a great day. Someone's going to give me a hundred bucks tomorrow. No, it's not that kind of joy. It's the joy of knowing God. It's the joy of knowing that you are eternally secure. It's the joy of knowing that if I die tomorrow, I'm alive. It's the joy of the resurrection. That's the joy of Christ. It's the joy of knowing there's more to life than just what I hear in the news or what I see in this world or what I experience on a day-to-day basis. Heaven is a real place, and it's just as physical as it is spiritual it's just as physical as we are experiencing right now that's the joy and then i'll be with god in the new heaven and new earth but he goes on meanwhile verse 17 what i want you to do god before they die and come over to be with us i want you to sanctify them in the truth thy word is true that means to set apart so they get saved father they know us, and, and here's their futures to be in heaven with us between now and then, between the time they trust Christ, they repent of their sins, trust Christ, we call it being born again, and by the time they get home to heaven, God, Father, I want you to be sanctifying them, setting them apart. In other words, conforming them more and more into the image of me, Jesus says. I want them to be change them. Here's the point. Yes, God receives you the way you are. That's why we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But here's the point. God also teaches us in his word that he does not, not leave us the way we are. He begins to change us. Amen? The first part is I'm saved. I'm justified before a holy God. Okay? Because it's all that God has done. 
He's accomplished that justification in Christ. And I trust in Christ. He basically, he is my justification. He's the one that justifies me. He bore my sin. He shed his blood. He is my righteousness. I'm trusting in him alone. And based on that faith, one is justified. But now that they are justified before God, there's that daily walk. It's called sanctification. Where God wants to get me into it, wants me to get into his word and talk to him. Get involved in a group of believers and rub shoulders with them and develop fellowship to be conformed into the image of Christ. It's called our daily walk. It's what Jesus says in verse 17, sanctify. But notice, and I love how he ends this prayer, verse 25 and 26, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, that is his disciples. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known why. Here's the purpose statement. Listen to this. So that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. You know what he's praying? Father, with these disciples in the church, with those who believe in me, they're coming into a relationship that we have. So we're going to love each other the same. To be saved means you're catapulted into a relationship with the Trinity. In other words, that the love that the Father has for the Son, the Son has for the Father, you're joined in that when you're born again, when you trust Christ. And you are loved the same. The Father loves you the way he loves his only begotten Son. That's unbelievable. That's incredible. That, that's, that's marvelous. It's amazing love. It is kind of crazy because of who we are sinners. I can understand God loving his only begotten son that way because he is righteous, because he is holy. He never sinned once. He's the perfect sacrifice. But me, the guy that has to deal with sinful thoughts every day of his life, the guy that has a past like I have, the guy that or woman that deals with anger, and I'm, I'm, I'm representing all of it. I, I know you deal with these things. You know how I know? I do too. That's what I'm getting at. So don't stare at me like, oh, you're the only one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. But that just makes God's love all that much more marvelous and amazing. Let's go on. Let's go back to John 3.16. <clears throat> Notice he says in contrast, perish in eternal life. I want you to notice that in the end of verse 13. Yeah, we're dissecting this verse, aren't we? <laughs> okay. The end of verse 13. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but contrast, have eternal life. There is no other option other than those two. There's not a third. Notice that. You either perish or you have eternal life. Perish means death or to destroy in the Greek. Perish does not mean cease to exist. You're not annihilated. You, you will always exist, whether God's child or not. What, it, what perish means is that the final destiny is ruined apart from God. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 describes that. Is, that. is that the condemnation, hell, death is eternal separation from God. There's be like no existence. He's nowhere around. You will not only experience no saving grace, but you won't even experience God's common grace. It'll be a time and place of darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, 
Hell is just as real as heaven. But we live in a world that doesn't think that way. Actually, what I'm preaching this morning is kind of like, eh, it's old school. Right? But the Bible's alive. The Bible is the eternal truth of God, objective truths. We don't approach the Bible as if, well, I could take this and not take that. It's divine. It's inspired. It's God's word. And that's how we approach it. And so when it comes to something like this, shall not perish but have eternal life, he's saying there's only two ways, perish or everlasting life. Verse 17 goes on to explain this purpose further. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And we go, aha, we're not going to be judged. Wait a minute, time out. Here's why. Go to the next verse, verse 18. Notice the phrase, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been what? Judged already. Here's the point. God has already declared judgment. Here's the point. He has not fulfilled it yet. He has proclaimed the judgment. He says, I judged. He's defined what condemnation or judgment is. He's put out the sentence of judgment, but he has not carried out the sentence yet. And so here we are caught in between, and Jesus is crying out, repent and believe in me. If you are to escape the judgment to come, and by the way, you're already under it. You're already under it. I got an illustration. Have you ever seen you driven down the road and you see a condemned house? It's empty. You got yellow tape usually around it. They don't want anybody to go in because it's unsafe. But it's already been labeled what? Sometimes they post a, a letter on there from the county or the city and says, you know, no one come in. Beware. It's a condemned building. It's unsafe, right? And so you don't go in there because of the danger. It's already been declared what? A condemned building, but it's still standing there. It's an empty shell. It's unsafe. That's the idea here. It's been judged already, but the, they haven't hired anybody to come in and demolish it and to get rid of it. That happens when Jesus comes again. You get the point? The sentence has been given, but it's not been implemented. I want you to notice... John also talks a lot about judgment. We're not going to go there. We'll, we'll do that later on in the weeks or months ahead. But I want to point this out to you. Chapter 12, if you will, verse 31 and 47. I want you to notice what he says here. He's, he's foretelling his death. But in verse 31, simply he says this, Now judgment is upon this world. Now, the rule of this world will be cast out. He's saying judgment is already upon us. It's already been declared. When did this happen, by the way? Genesis chapter, the fall. That's a declaration of judgment. You will surely die, right, to Adam and Eve. And, And that's what happened. And that's what Jesus is getting at. The judgment's already been cast. It's been declared. God's not quiet about this. He's already said it. But then you go on to verse 47 and 48. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep him, I do not judge him. Because they believe in Christ, they escape that judgment to come. Okay? That's the verse 47. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. 
Now, notice what he says here. Notice, please notice this. The word I spoke is that is what will judge him at the last day. The very words of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that save today will be the very words he uses to judge us when he comes again. Wow. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? See, here's the question. The question isn't, do you want to know God? The real question is, how do you want to know him? You're either going to know him as your Savior and Lord, or you're going to know him as your judge. Those are the only two options. It's not, you're going to know him one way or the other. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But a lot of those tongues that are going to be confessing and a lot of those knees that are going to be bowing are not going to have a personal relationship with him. They're also going to hear, depart from me, I do not know you. So it's not a matter of people in hell not knowing that God exists. They're going to know. They're even going to know that Jesus was the Savior, is the Savior of the world, and that they've rejected him. And they're going to burn forever knowing that they turned him down, that they said no to him. I mean, there's going to be an external flame, but there's also going to be that internal flame which just burns their soul, knowing that they rejected God. This is why we go out to our neighborhood. This is why we go out to our community. This is why we want them to know the what? Love of God, which is found only in Jesus Christ. That is what John 3.16 is all about. Verse 19, go back to chapter 3, our text this morning. Here's the judgment. That light has come into the world. Earlier on, we understand in the Gospel of John that who's the light? Jesus is the light of the world. So Jesus comes into the world, and here's what happened. Men love darkness rather than the light. That's natural. That's normal. We love darkness rather than light. The only difference between me or we as Christians, as a church of Jesus Christ and a lost world, is the grace of God. We're not Christians because we're better than anybody else. We're Christians because the work of the Spirit in our lives causing us to be born again, opening up our eyes, literally, to see that Jesus is the Christ, that in Him we find the love of God, that Christ Himself is the love of God, so we embrace Him. 19, this is the judgment. The sinners naturally, naturally love the darkness rather than Christ who came into this world. Verse 20, the evidence is there for everyone who does evil hates the light. See, they'd rather keep doing what they're doing. They'd rather follow after their own lusts, their own selfishness. They want to pull up their own bootstraps. I want to, all I have to do is believe in myself. You hear that all the time. Just believe Oh, and I hear this in the sports world all the time. You can be whatever you want to be. You can be whoever you want to be. Is that, really? How many times is that disappointed? How about this? I want to be a follower of Christ. It's not about who I want to be. It's who I want people to see who he is. That's why Paul says for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Right? That's why John the Baptist earlier on, the Gospel of John says, I must decrease. That doesn't sound very self-esteeming, does it? But he must increase. See, here's the point. 
When you are in Christ, you are so freed up of the world. You're so not afraid of death. You're so looking forward to heaven that you will live recklessly and abandonedly for Jesus Christ because you are so gripped of his love. And as a sovereign grip, you can, he will not lose you. You cannot, you're eternally secure so much that you will live with recklessly abandonment for him. You've got nothing to lose, Christian. Child of God, you have eternal life. It's a win-win. Go ahead, shoot me for my faith. <laughs> Send me home to heaven with my heavenly father. Here, here's the question, Christianity. Here's the question. Is this really real or not? Do we live on earth as if heaven is truly real? Or do I just talk about it? Or is it just a nice thought or a theory? No, Jesus is calling us to live a real life, real belief. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Notice verse 20 and 21, there's a contrast. Look at there, verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Uh-oh. All my, see, that's with Lazarus, by the way. He, he, I think he's still talking to Lazarus in this passage. And so the last thing Lazarus wants to hear is all his shining good works didn't do him any good. They're going to be exposed as being really evil. There's none who does good, Lazarus. No, not one. All the work that you did in keeping the law had, does nothing to get you into heaven. It is a religion. You've misinterpreted the law. The law was given to you to point you to the reality that you need Christ. He's the perfect righteousness of God. And it wasn't given to you so that you could be as best as you could be, that you could be righteousness, and based on your own righteousness, get to heaven. Nicodemus, Jesus says, you've missed the point. As a matter of fact, you go back to verse 23 in chapter 3. I'm sorry, verse 14. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why did Jesus say this to Nicodemus? Because Nicodemus was identifying himself with Moses and not with sinners. Go to Numbers chapter 21, because that's what this is about. Numbers 21. I, I will see this in closing. You cannot forget that Jesus is dealing with a self-righteous Pharisee here, which I must understand is a part of me. Chapter, I'm sorry, Numbers 21. Numbers 21. We're going to see in verse 4 and 5 that Israel was grumbling so much that we read this, verse 4, Numbers 21. They then set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Quote, why? Here's how they spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. What, what? You, you delivered us from Egypt so we could just die instead of in Egypt in the wilderness? Come on, God. This is rebellion. Verse 6, here's God's response. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. This is judgment. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. 
and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. Here's the point. Here's why Jesus quoted this with Nicodemus in John 3. Nicodemus was identifying himself with Moses and not the rebellious sinners of Israel. Nicodemus failed to understand that he was bitten by the fiery serpent called Satan, that he was bitten by the disease called sin, the S-I-N virus. And because he refused to see that, he was not in need of the Savior at that time. And he's saying, that's why God sent me to be, raised, to be shown on the cross. In other words, beloved, to be born again is to identify yourself as a sinner and in need of the Savior. It's to run to Christ. It's to see him for who he is. It's to recognize that God, you have in your love have provided a way to escape your just and righteous judgment. And his name is Jesus Christ. Folks, as the church of Christ, we are the proclaimers of this good news. And by the way, it doesn't get any better. That God would love the world. That he would give his son. God, may that ignite a flame in our hearts. Third and last point, real quick, the scope of God's love. That whosoever, this was a shock to Nicodemus. This was a shock to the Jew. The Jews thought of God as loving Israel, but not the world. But now Jesus is saying, this is reaching beyond the borders of Israel. This is going out to every nation, every tongue, and every tribe. And we are the beneficiaries of that today in 2018 at Grace Community Church. Here we learn this from God's redemptive purpose. It's not confined to the Jews, but embraces the world. Not that everybody is saved, but that people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation group will be saved and represented in heaven. He sent his son into the world to save sinners. That is the love of God. Do you have the love of God? Are you loved by God? If you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, you will resoundingly say, yes. Our prayer is that you would know him. And to know him is to know how much God loves you. There's nothing better that can happen to you on a Father's Day than to know the Father's love for you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our Lord and our God, we must understand your love in the backdrop of your just God who judges sinners, of which we all fall in that group. But that's why we're Grace Community Church. We are so loved by you, we just dive it into it. We live our lives discovering more and more in your word how much you love us. And God, I pray that love would just continually change our lives, free us up from the things of this world, and cause us to live more and more for Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for loving us. Help us to be faithful with the message of the good news of your love for sinners in Christ by sharing it with others. Help us not to be afraid. Help us not to be ashamed of the gospel, but to go forth with it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.